it be wonderful if the world could understand uh, who he is and his great love for us. And I really believe that as God gets a hold of his children's hearts and we live the way he would have us to live, not after the flesh, but after the spirit, that we will be able to help the world around us to see they can still reject him and they may well still reject him. But if they're going to, it would be better that they rejected the truth than a story that Christians tell them, if you understand what I'm saying. So may we live according to his word. May we live by the power of his Holy Spirit within us, that they might see the love of God in Christ through the people of God, that we might be, you know, the Bible talks about being perfect, and it doesn't mean to be flawless. That's not what, the, that's not what there is a word for be flawless, but that's not what the word is. When God says be perfect, what he means to be is to reach that goal. It's the same word where it's translated the end of the commandment is love or charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and faith unfeigned. The word end and the word perfect are the same uh, Greek root. And it, what it means is this is the goal. The goal that God has for you and I is that we would live like Christ would live, that we would be conformed to his image spiritually now in such a way that people would not see us, but that they would see Christ in us, which is indeed the hope of glory. Amen. Now, I'll ask you to open your Bibles with us, if you would, please, this morning to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to look at a couple of other verses. John read this passage with us already this morning. He began in uh, verse 4. Uh, in the context, what we're looking at is uh, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, during a time in which um, God uses men to move people around. He has chosen that Joseph and Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus, would need to travel to a specific place because that's where it's prophesied that Christ is going to be born. And so he, they're going to go there. In a very real sense, it would be like um, way too many people traveling to this area, and basically we run out of hotel rooms. And so there's no room for them in the hotel room, and so they are going to stay. They're going to live in the stable, if you will, and they're, and they're okay with that. Now, this is really a remarkable truth. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is a remarkable truth that the God who made all of the universe is okay with being born and laid in a, in a manger, being laid in a trough. Um, what a remor I mean, let me say this honestly. Where on earth would you put Jesus and it be worthy of him? You could put him in the greatest palace on the planet and it really would not be worthy of the Lord Jesus. It just wouldn't be. I mean, the one who threw the stars into the sky, the one who names them all, by the way, by names, plural. Think about that. Think about knowing all of the... I think whenever I read that passage, it makes me think this. You know, we have pet names for everybody in my family. I call very few people in my family by their actual name. And I have multiple pet names that I use for them. Now, I confuse them all now at this point. I'm getting old. And so I call my children by each other's names. And even my wife, I, call, you know, I called her Rebecca yesterday a couple of times. And um, it's okay. Everybody understands. They love me. They understand that. But uh, the Lord doesn't mess up, mess up names. But he calls the stars by their names, plural. That's remarkable to me. It really shouldn't be that remarkable when you consider the omniscience of God, just how great his mind is compared to ours. But it's still worth understanding that the one who calls the stars by name, the one who placed them all there, 
was willing to come and be with us, to be with us, to be one with us, Emmanuel, and that he was willing to start all of this in a manger. Father, bless us as we consider for just a moment the greatness of the one whose birth we celebrate today. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody asked me the other day, do you really think that Jesus was born on December 25th? And I always find that such a be, to be such a funny question because the answer is I have no idea. And probably not. But you pick a day. You celebrate it on that day if you want to, you know, if you understand what I'm saying. The idea isn't that December 25th is Jesus' birthday. The idea is that December 25th is a date that has been set aside to celebrate that unto us a child is given, unto us a son, his son is born. It is wonderful that God has given us his only begotten son because of his love for us. This is what we celebrate today. Um, how many of you are aware that it has become not only unpopular, but almost somewhat forbidden to say Merry Christmas in the United States of America? Isn't that a strange thing? Honestly, doesn't that seem strange to you? You can't say Merry Christmas. It's offensive. Well, there are a lot of offensive things that I see in the world as I walk around. Saying Merry Christmas isn't one of them. And I say this as someone who was not, you know, in my young adult life when I was unsaved, I found many things that we did to be offensive already before God saved me. And yet, um, what I have found is this. When you are at a store, and all of us have just been at stores, a lot of stores here probably in the last few weeks, and, uh, and you're done with your transaction, if you say Merry Christmas... I, am, I would say probably 99% of the people that I've spoken to will say Merry Christmas back. It's like they would like to say Merry Christmas, but somehow they've been told. So it's like, well, who's telling these people not to say Merry Christmas? This week, I had the privilege of, uh, of uh, preaching over at Cedar Manor. Cedar Manor is one of the four nursing homes that we we're blessed to have a ministry at. And by the way, I say this, I don't normally preach at Cedar Manor. I don't normally preach at any of the nursing homes. But from time to time, I'm invited to come, and, and uh, the, per, the, the persons in our church who have these ministries will invite me and say, Pastor, would you come uh, during this time and preach during this time? And so I will. And so I was invited to come uh, this week uh, to be able to look at the Word of God together for just a couple of minutes. We had uh, a great group of young people that came out to sing at Cedar Manor. And it was, it was tremendous. It was a tremendous blessing. Uh, one of the uh, ladies that works there was standing close to me while they were singing. And she said, uh, I, I understand that your church is only a couple hundred people. And I said, yeah, about, it's about 200 people, 250 people on a Sunday morning. And she said, you have a lot of really nice voices in your church for a small church. I said, we have a lot of people who can sing who aren't here right now, too. And I said, uh, we really are blessed to have a lot of wonderful vo But what is a blessing to me isn't that we have good voices in our church. It's that we have a lot of people in our families who love the Lord Jesus and who have chosen, like Amelia playing the piano this morning and, and Amanda singing, the, singing this morning, uh, and Rebecca. <laughs> okay, Amelia's not my child, and I got that one right, okay? <clears throat> Amanda is my child, but she didn't sing. Rebecca did. So for those of you that are visiting... It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> when I'm in one of the nursing homes, would you please, whichever one I'm in, would you visit that one too? <laughs> I, I told my wife many years ago, I don't know what's happening to my mind, but I hope I'm just pleasant to be around as I get older. So I think God is, you know, I, I, I have said many times that, uh, um, that I have realized, you know, while I've been in the ministry, while I've been a pastor, unfortunately, 
uh, that being right is what I really cared about primarily. And I've come to realize that being right is not as helpful as loving people. Um, the Bible is right, don't get me wrong. But I've always felt that if I was accurate, if I was really accurate, by the way, and I could prove my point, if I could apologize, that's the actual term, if I could apologize and prove my point, that people would be wowed and change. And what I realized is people are not wowed and they're not changed. But, but if we'll preach the truth in love, it will change lives. And we have been able to see that happening very, very much. You know, this, this uh, week we also had the privilege of uh, feeding um, the children. Uh, we had Christmas in Johnson Hall, and we had the children that come in in the vans. And, we, you know, and, and, and I don't know how it worked out. I wasn't supposed to feed the children. I wasn't supposed to stand in line and hand out food. Somebody asked me if I would stand and guard the dessert table. Pastor, would you guard the dessert table so that the children will eat their food before they eat their dessert? And I said, no, no, I won't, you know, because uh, I don't want the kids to think of me as the person that said, no, you can't have that pie right now, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you can guard the food table. I would just give it away. Yeah, here, have a pie. Would you like another piece? You know what I'm saying? So, um, so I was giving the, I was helping give the food out. And boy, if you looked into the eyes of these children while they're receiving food, It'll change your opinion of these children. I don't know what their normal meals are like, but they sure do like to be here with us and eat. And I'm glad that we are able to do this once a month, and I'm glad that we do a special one for Christmas. You know, it's funny because typically we serve them pizza or macaroni and cheese or, or little hot dog things or, you know, that type of a thing, and they love that. And so we've had brisket and beans and carrots and it's funny watching their plates it's like and macaroni and cheese by the way we serve macaroni and cheese and it's like all their plates had lots of macaroni and cheese on it's like yeah I don't know what that is I don't want those you know what I'm saying is it's like this meal that that we would consider to be a delicious wonderful meal they're like where's the little hot dog things we want those little hot dog things amen what a what a privilege it is to be able to uh to show the love of Christ to these young people and uh, just pray as we As we minister to these children. All right, so uh, so we're not supposed to say Merry Christmas. But what I was thinking about this week, and then I, and I and I was able to share a little bit of this uh, at Cedar Manor, is really the question is what does Merry Christmas say to us? I think more significant than what we would say is what does Merry Christmas say to you and I? What does God say to you and I through Merry Christmas? I think to understand this, you have to turn in your Bible back to Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to take a couple of minutes. All that was not preaching, by the way. All of that was just me saying good morning. I just want you to know that. <laughs> we said we're going to be here for one hour, and we will be here for one hour. And, and there will be a little bonus thrown in at the end. <laughs> Genesis 3. Now we recognize Genesis 3. Genesis 3 begins, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. What we see here is, is uh, Satan lying and Adam and Eve choosing uh, to really believe that maybe God is, is keeping something from them. 
Maybe God's holding out, basically, is what the devil lies to them and says, God's holding out on you. God is not holding. The only thing God is holding out on us is terrible sin. That's always holding out on us. You get to have your own way. You get to have your own way. God made you a free, moral creature. You can make whatever choices you want, and God is going to allow you to do that. One of the things that puzzles me is everybody wants God to let them have their way, but everybody gets angry when somebody does something really terrible. And it is terrible when somebody does that, which we would say is unspeakable. How could he ever do that to that woman or that young child? How could they ever behave themselves? How could they strap a bomb to their chest and walk into this room and blow up so many people? How could God allow that? All the while, people are saying to God, leave me alone and let me do what I want. They just did what they wanted. That's what they wanted to do. This is the problem. Our, our, the problem is us. The problem is our own selfish hearts. Do you understand? That all the problems in the world, Bambi is not the problem, if you understand what I'm saying. Bambi doesn't hurt him. He might eat your carrots, okay? But he does not ruin your life. It is not the animals. It is not the trees. It is not the rocks. It is not the water that's ruining the earth. It's humans that are ruining the earth. It is our selfishness that causes each other so much pain. And all God wants to do is to keep us from that. But you, you and I, we have to make our own choices. So Adam and Eve are going to make their own choice. And God is going to make a promise in verse 15. So Adam and Eve have already made this terrible choice, if you will. And I'm not going to look into all of that. But I, what I want you to do is see the promise that God gives in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Speaking to the serpent now. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So Adam and Eve have just fallen. They have just fallen. They're still standing in the garden. And God promises, I'm going to put an end to all of this. I'm going to crush the head of Satan, who has lied to you. There will be no more lying one day. This will all be put away. So what I want you to understand is the first thing you need to realize is what Christmas says to all of us is that God has fulfilled his promise to mankind. God promised a seed. God promised one would be born of a woman who would take away sin. And that's who Jesus is. If you want to see a little bit more of that, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to do this quickly. Please turn quickly with me to Isaiah chapter 7. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 7. We get, again, as I said, there's so much we could say just in setting this up, just in looking at Christ coming to earth. But I'm just going to take a couple of these things. They're passages that you probably are somewhat familiar with. In fact, you may be familiar with all of them. But the first thing you need to see about what does Merry Christmas say to us, and that is this, that God is fulfilling that which he has promised mankind. In, Genesis, in Isaiah chapter 7, in verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, by the way, God with us. A virgin will have a baby, and this baby will be born of God. And this baby will be called Emmanuel. Turn just a couple chapters later to chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9. Again, another very, very well-known passage, but it's important to see this in the context of what we're looking at. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. By the way, let me say this. Uh, this morning, the, uh, the uh, church office sent out a Christmas card 
uh, through MailChimp, which is just a service that we use to send out mass mailings of things through email, if you did not get that Christmas card and you would like to receive this type of announcements from our church family, please see the office and say, can you add this email address? You can either see Amanda, which is my daughter that I got the name right of right now, and Kathy, and you can see either one of them, and say, here, would you please uh, add my name to that? We'd be glad for you to receive the emails if you're not receiving them. Okay, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government in peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then lastly, turn to Micah, Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 2, excuse me, that meant verse five, chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and this is just something that you will recognize. I just want you to see this. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and you can read it. You can follow along as I read it aloud. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Now this is significant. I want to spend a couple of minutes on this this morning, talking about this part of the promise. The one who's coming to earth is from everlasting. What does that mean? And you don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Here's the problem with, one of the problems with our mind. Our minds are really stuck or bound by time. We, we think time affects us, I mean, and it does affect us, but t- time affects our thinking. But time doesn't affect God's thinking. Time doesn't affect God. You understand? Gravity affects us. There are many things in the creation that affect us that do not affect the creator. Time is something that God created. Again, time is in the box. If you picture everything that you understand, all matter, literally everything, everything you understand about math, science, little everything, philosophy, language, everything, and you put it in a giant box, however big the box you need it to be, you can call it the universe when you're done, if you want to. Everything in that is in a box to God. Do you understand? How many of you received some boxes from Amazon or somebody else in the last couple of weeks? Yes? And you opened those boxes, right? And you went through the boxes. You know, my wife asked me the other day, she said, did any boxes come today? And I said, oh yeah, yeah, some boxes came today. And then she was opening them, and as she was opening them, she was taking things out of the box. But everything that was in the box, she could have complete mastery over when it came out of the box. Even those little peanuts, you know what I'm saying, in the packing paper that come in those boxes. What I mean is this, you and I are bound by time. But God is not bound. It's really important that you understand this. God is bigger, greater than you think he is. Far, far bigger and greater than we understand him to be. The other day, somebody asked me this question about, I can't remember what it was. It was one of the disasters that's taken place in America. I mean, I'm talking about natural disasters. And they said, they asked me this question. Do you think that God allowed that to happen because he was someplace else where something more important was going on? And I said, God is everywhere at the same time. And he can handle everything 
at the same time. I don't know if you have any idea, really, I mean, I do, as an engineer, you know, I understand a little bit, I mean, I was taught, I don't know how much I understand it, I don't know how much anybody understands, it's the point I'm making, atoms themselves, atoms themselves ought to come apart. Still, we don't really understand, it's cosmic glue, right, that holds these atoms together. But the Bible is very clear that, that Christ created all things and that he, they, all, they consist or they're held together by him. If it, has anybody ever seen what happens when you let an atom go? You have, right? A couple of these were dropped in Japan. What happens when you let the power of an atom out? And the answer is, wow, wow. The, the Bible tells you that at the end time, the universe shall melt with a fervent heat. You know, you know, you know, what, you have, you know what has to be done? in order for the entire universe to blow up in a fervent heat? And the answer is, Jesus just has to let go. He holds all things. You have no idea how big, how big a deal this is. You have no idea how much energy, how much power there is just in our Son alone. And our Lord Jesus holds you and everything else together all the time. That's how great our God is. It is significant and wonderful that you would lay hold of the fact that we do not serve some mealy mouth Casper Milk Toast God. That, that the one who loves us holds everything together all the time. It's unbelievable how, how, how significant and important this is. It says that, uh, it said, remember in, in uh, verse nine of, uh, verse seven of chapter nine, it says, in the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Boy, I tell you what, our government has a hard time with peace. Yes, no, we can't even elect a president in our country anymore without somebody losing their mind. And yet when the Lord, the Lord Jesus desire for all of us, listen, is that we would love one another. And see, love does not hurt anybody. Love allows you to be wrong, or me to be wrong, because obviously, you know, if you're wrong, then I might be the one that's wrong. I just think you're the one that's wrong. But God wants to so change our hearts and lives that we're not so concerned with about my way, but with really loving one another. Now again, God is right about all of these things. And let God be true and every man a liar. Let us recognize that God is right about all of these things, and all that we can do is humbly say, Lord, you know, you know, you know. You change me so that I would know correctly, but that I would love while I understand these things. Now, what I want to do is I want to turn to uh, John, uh, John chapter 1. I just want you to see this for just a moment. This is such a significant truth, and I really need you to take this home with you today. You know, you're, as I said, you're going to go home back to your Christmas tree. You're going to sit around a table and eat some food and everything. But what I need you to understand is a little bit more about the one that we celebrate being born in a manger. Okay? So let's go to John chapter 1 and beginning in verse 1. John chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I'm going to draw your attention to a simple word. In the beginning was the word. Why don't you underline that word? In the beginning was. Underline the word was. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Just underline that in your Bible. If you want to write in the margin, I, me, you can write E-I-M-I, E-I-M-I. And that's the Greek word. And what this is, is this is the being verb, the verb to be, right? To be or not to be. Every single um, language in the world has a verb for being. 
when you learn how to conjugate verbs, it's, one of the, it's the, usually the first verb you learn. When you learn another language, the being verb is the one that you're taught first because the idea of being is important. So what this is saying, this is really important you understand this. The translation of this is always existed. In the beginning, always existed the word. And the word always existed with God. And the word always existed God. That's what it means. Okay? This is really significant. By contrast, look down just a few verses to verse 6. I'm going to read verses 6, 7, and 8 now. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, underline the word was in verse 6. Underline the word was in verse 6. And you can write in the margin, and this is going to sound even harder to write, ginomai, ginomai. You just spell it however you want to, okay? Make up whatever letters make you happy, okay? Just so you can pronounce it to yourself sometime later. But this is, this is a different verb. This verb means to become, to become. It literally means to become. So what I want you to, this means starting point. So here's what I want you to understand. Verse 1, in the beginning always existed the word. Verse 6, there became a man sent from God. You and I became. You and I have a starting point. Now, we have an eternity to live, but we have a starting point. You and I started someday. Now, by, now I want you to see just one more thing. Go to verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you can underline the word was in verse 14. And guess which one it is? It's ginomai. And what that means is this. Hear me. Hear me. Jesus always was. The actual correct way to say that is this. Jesus always is. And this is really kind of important because he is. He was, but at that point it was is at that point. You understand what I'm saying? He will be, but at that point it will be is. He can actually say, I am. You and I can't say I am. He always is. He always was. He always will be. He is eternal. That's literally what we're saying. But, but, he became flesh. Do you understand? So when we celebrate, when we celebrate this little, beautiful little baby Lying in a manger, crying or not crying, depending upon which song you're singing, right? This little one lying in a manger is the eternal God. That's who he is. He isn't just born king. He is born God. He is, now listen, it is really significant that he became flesh, that he is a man. It's really important to all of us that we understand this and lay hold of this. But you need to realize this. We do not worship a man who was a benevolent, good teacher. That's not what we worship. What we worship is God the Son who came to earth to die for you and I, who came to live a perfect life, who came to do thy will, oh my God. He came to do for us what we could not do. And John chapter 1 says that to us. Now, with all of that in mind, I'm just going to spend one more moment. And it's just right at noon right now, so this is all extra. This is all free. Go back to Luke for just a moment. Luke chapter 2. Because what we're actually looking at is what does Merry Christmas say to us? And so go back to Luke chapter 2. I'm not going to read it over again. Let me just read a little bit of it. 
So we find in verse 7 that she brought forth her firstborn son, right? The one who became, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and lied him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same uh, country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. There's just such a tremendous message, by the way, that can be preached about the fact that God breaks into the night to proclaim peace on earth, goodwill to men. Because, oh, do we live in the night here on earth. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Just having these angels in their presence caused them to be afraid. And the angel said unto them, you might want to write, they might want to underline a couple things here, because this is going to be a tremendous blessing. Fear not. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas says to us, fear not. Fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good tidings. Good tidings. This is gospel. This is what gospel means. This is what it means. That's what the actual word is. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to who? All people. For unto you, who is unto you? All people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now, this is such a tremendous and one. Again, Go back to, no, just don't do it, don't turn there. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 in your mind. The entire Old Testament is talking about the anointed one, the promised one, the, the Messiah, the Christ who's going to come. And guess what? Praise God, this is it right here. This is the promise of God. This is the promise of God. What is the good news of great joy? God is coming to save you. That's the good news of great joy. God is coming to rescue you. Oh, thank God for this. By the way, in the Old Testament, they were saved by trusting that God is coming to save them. In the New Testament, we are saved by trusting that God has come to save us. Amen? They looked forward to something. We look back to something. But it's still by faith. It was by faith for them. It's by faith to us. We know that Jesus is the Christ. They didn't know that Jesus was the Christ, but they did know that there was a Christ. And they trusted that the Christ was going to come and save them. And they trusted not in the blood of bulls and of goats, but in the Christ who is coming to save them. And we don't trust in the blood of bulls and goats. We trust. We don't have to go through the exercise anymore because the blood has already been shed. Amen? And this is, this is that day. This is that day. It is in the middle of the night this announcement is made. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you, th you should. You should think a lot about how excited God is about his son. But just, I mean, honestly, honestly, how many of you have ever uh, watched any movies at all and noticed the, 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 how the music affects the movie itself? Yes? No? Right? The way the music builds up, builds up, builds up, and then something spectacular happens, and there's like a crescendo. Well, this is exactly what's going on right here. God finally gets to announce the birth of his son, and it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That must have been quite the choir. Amen? Yeah. Honestly, 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. God gets to pronounce, you know, um, I can tell you, man, when my kids were born, I was so excited about my kids being born. You know, back in the day, men used to, it's so funny, back in the day, men used to wait out in a completely different area and have cigars to give out to everyone. And when, at the time that my children were being born, it was already becoming normal for men to be in the room with their wives while they were going through labor and, and watching them go through labor and being like, man, I'm so glad that men don't have babies. Amen. You know, I mean, it's a, I, I promise you, if men had babies, there'd be a lot less people on the planet. I promise you that right now. Because we'd have one baby and say, yeah, that's that. We're not ever doing that again. Let me tell you right now. Honestly, it's remarkable, remarkable how much joy. It's a woman, I mean, if you, I mean, again, I don't want to go into great detail, but when a child is born, it's amazing. How quickly the mother goes from all of the agony of having the baby to all of the joy of holding the baby. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to behold. And God the Father rejoices in giving us his son. In giving us his son. What else does Merry Christmas say to us? And this is what it says in verse 14. And I'm just going to close with this. It says, glory to God. That's what it says. Merry Christmas. Hear me. Please hear me. Please, please. And you know what? I think gifts are wonderful. I really, really do. And if you want to give me one, I'll be glad to take it, honestly. I think gifts are great. I, I mean that with all my heart. But don't get lost in the gifts and the tree and the food and all of the things. Don't get lost in the extended family conversations about politics or sports or anything else. Don't get lost in any of that. Just don't get lost in it. You're going to have those conversations. By the way, have those conversations in peace. Please have those conversations in peace. But be caught up in this. Glory to God in the highest. I don't know what that means. Beyond the stars, beyond the universe, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace. Peace. What's Jesus going to say, by the way, every time he appears in, in, to his disciples after his resurrection? Peace unto you. Why? Because it terrified them every single time. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, how do you do that? He just walked through that wall. Peace unto you. It's amazing. It's amazing. God wants to give peace unto mankind. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Merry Christmas says glory to God and peace to you and I. God, listen, God has goodwill toward you. God has goodwill toward you. And this goodwill is represented in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you reject Christ, I'm not, this, is such, this, this, this is going to sound to some of you so much like the right religious statement, but it's so important. If you reject Jesus, you cannot have the goodwill of God because Jesus came to pay for your sins. And if you won't receive that free gift, then you'll simply have to pay for them yourselves. You'll have to stand before God in either your righteousness or his righteousness. You will have to stand before God. God does not want you to stand before him in your unrighteousness. He doesn't want it. You have an unrighteousness. He knows you have an unrighteousness. And he begs you, don't stand before me in your righteousness. Don't. Receive my son's righteousness. He came to trade with you. He came to take away your sin. That's why he's dying on the cross. He came to take away your sin. Why? Because God has good will toward us. That's why. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You and I would perish in our own selfishness 
And Jesus came to set us free. Amen? This is the promise of all of time. And it has been fulfilled already. Again, no religious duty necessary. No baptism will save you. No joining of the church will save you. But trusting in this Christ who came to save you will save you. And that's what God wants for all of us. So today, today, as we spend this time together and tomorrow and going into the new year, as we spend this time together and with our extended family, ask God, show me. You show me the truth through your word. I'm not even really asking you to believe me. The reason we looked at so many different verses is because I want you to understand the Bible says this. The Bible teaches this. The Bible wants you to know this. Why? Because God loves you. That's why he gave his word. That's why he sent his son. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your time together this morning. Thank you for all of those who have done so much to show your love to so many in these last few weeks, Lord. I ask you that you would truly bless the rest of our day, our conversations. I know people are probably going to walk out fairly quickly, Lord, with all that's going on today. But, Lord, bless whatever conversations we have. Lord, bless as we go and spend time with our extended families. May, may all the people who will be around all of us today not see us for what an ugly thing that is, but may they instead see the love and glory of you, Father, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this unspeakable gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would.